Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Yes, Milena is the singer between us, so I will not try anything, and you'll thank me for that. (laughs) She's real bad. Yes, happy holidays, and welcome to the last episode of this season of My Favorite Feminist. You are listening to a podcast that explores feminist (laughs) figures in the arts and sciences. Yes, yes. Usually we take a bit of a winter break, but life has had us busy this year, so we're a smidge closer to the Christmas than we usually are. We are coming back for more. I like to think we've got some good gifts for you this year. Yes, it'll be fantastic. I think this episode will be a nice gift-wrapped ending to a beautiful year. I don't know if beautiful is how I would describe things, but we're 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 suspending reality right now you work in a hospital you know exactly what's up i know you should see the images i see so when i come home it's a lot of sims it's a it's a lot of sims all right a lot of dog hugging it's not great today i'm gonna help us suspend disbelief or suspend our belief suspend our belief with my brazilian ceramic artist an educator an activist kind of sort of that's what I got for you today. Gimme, 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 yes. gimme, gimme. The magical world of ceramics. So I'm a ceramic artist, and I always take the last episode of the season to cover a ceramic artist. So here we are. It's a little gift to myself. I'm, I'm just not. <laughs> I don't care. I'm doing this. All right. Well. I love you. <laughs> on that note, uh, I've got a little ceramic confession time. All right. Uh, so as a ceramic artist, there are times when I'm working with clay that um, I just want to smear it all over my body. Um, like, completely. Wait, wait, what? Like a walking mud monster. Wait, what? Like, way past what? the whole face clay mask. Okay. I do those, too. But, like, everything. This is literally the first time I've ever heard this. There are some times when I'm reclaiming clay. And, you know, it's you're, you're essentially just recycling clay. So you take the old dry bits and you rehydrate them. And it gets all, like, weird and slushy, like mud. I'm like, I just want to smear it all over myself. What? 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 I. Mm. It's it's just this weird thing. I'm just like, I just have this instinctual urge to like cover myself in mud and be oh. be absorbed back into the earth. Oh, okay. Well, we know what we're gonna do to your body. All right. When when your time comes. I don't know what type of permits you'll have to pull for that, but I don't know. Maybe <laughs> things will be more eco friendly in the future. <laughs> we got we got like. 60 years to think. Yeah, to get ideally, that. we've got a few decades before we have to consider that. It's fine. But okay, no, I know I am not the only one who feels this way because today I'm talking about an artist who did just that. Oh, oh, okay, there are more of you. Okay. And I love every single one of you. Any other ceramic artists or potters out there listening, I'm, I bet they're thinking to themselves, mm hmm, mm hmm. They might have <laughs> even done it. I'm jealous. <laughs> Can we? What happens? At the ceramic residency, stays at the ceramic residency, okay? <laughs> All right? Oh, no. I mean, okay. So some people pay a lot of money to sit in a tub full of mud. So That's what I'm saying. I already have the mud. It's just in between clay. I just, but my concern is having that in places that are very delicate, um, you know, have a very delicate ecosystem. Thank you for your concerns, but um, my eyes do just fine. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> just making sure. Yeah. So we are talking about the Brazilian artist, Seleda Tostes. Seleda? 
Saladia. Saladia Tostes. I looked into it. It's also Portuguese, so it's like not really Spanish kind of, yeah, sort of, not really. Maybe it's like a different pronunciation. I mean, I'm obviously going at it from a Spanish angle, so I'm sure it's got to be it's got to be a little different. It is. I, I found one video from like the Modern Museum of Art in Rio, and they said her name, and it was like really fast, but it was like Saladia Tostes, and it sounded like they said toaster, and I'm like, I know that's not what you said. Saladia Toste? But that's what my brain heard. <laughs> my stupid American brainer. Somebody I know is trying to learn Spanish and they are learning it through learning songs because they're a musician. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. When I heard them sing and when I heard them try to, you know, speak, I was like, oh my God, you sound amazing. Like what? Like how? That's great. Yeah. And then I just, my mind went immediately to you. I've got (laughs) a little tutor lined up. On a on a one to one language platform website. Yeah. Yeah. How's that going out? I haven't booked it yet. I was gonna book it after Thanksgiving, but then money. Aww. But so yes. Salida. 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 I and apologies if I'm not properly pronounced with <laughs> the Portuguese accent. Lo siento. I know that's Spanish, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to say I'm sorry in Portuguese. I'm out. I'm tapping yeah, out. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm calling the gringa card. I'm sorry. I looked into it. I Googled as much as I could. Salida is what I got. So, um, yeah. So, Salida, she was doing this all the way back in the late 1970s. Really? Oh, that makes sense. She was high, right? I know. Right, well, I don't know if there was really a hippie scene in Brazil in the 1970s. There was. But if she was in the United States, oh, she'd be smoking that wacky tobacco okay. so hard. As someone whose father lived in Colombia in the 70s, I can tell you very affirmatively that the hippie scene was not just an American thing. There are there are pictures of my father in bell bottoms. I was about to say, bell bottoms knows no borders. No, no. All right, so tell me, we're in the 70s, we're smoking a lot of weed. We don't know that. I cannot confirm or deny. Okay. But before I can get into speculation, I just want to do a little, like, kudos to a bilingual book that I came across that was titled after her name, Celidia Tostes, and that was put together by multiple individuals at a art school in uh, Rio de Janeiro. Okay. My understanding is that someone was writing it as like their master's paperwork and then it morphed into this collection of essays and thank the gods it's an, it's bilingual and without it I would have had like nothing to go on. Oh no. Oh it's one of those one of those things. Yeah, she her work was included in one exhibition at one museum in LA like the one time. So there's one article in passing mentioning her. But then and there's crickets. like nothing else in English on American Google. You would have to use the Google Translate button, and who knows what will come out of that. Yeah, and even with this book, there are some parts I was reading, and I was like, eh, I don't I don't think they translated it how it was supposed to be translated. Look, they were getting their master's in art history, not English, so. Oh, wait, well, and I, I don't know. <laughs> there was some grant money behind it. I don't know who did the translation. Right. It was really, really minor things where I'm like, oh, I think that word should probably be slightly different. Right. I'm not knocking it. It's free. So you can go on our show notes <laughs> on our webpage and find it and read it yourself. Yeah. And tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. You're welcome to. <laughs> if you happen to be a Portuguese listener and also bilingual, like really, like like very, very fluent in both, go for it. And also listens to our podcast. We're getting into a very, very niche market. Yeah. The one, the one of you, please. <laughs> 
You're so optimistic. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, honestly, without that book, I would have had nothing to go off of. So it was pretty great. Um, because without it, like, I, I wouldn't have been able to learn, like, why this woman was covering herself in clay. Yes, please. Why? Or why later on she was collecting spit from strangers. What? <laughs> what? Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Go I'll tell you, today's episode, it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Yeah. All right. I don't have anything. Well, I have, like, one thing super standoffish. Uh, you'll see. It's, okay. This this is going to be a fun episode. <laughs> I hope so. All right. So before we can get to that weird spit and clay stuff, uh, we are jumping back in time to 1929 to the state of Rio de Janeiro. Okay. Because right? the capital city of the state is also Rio de Janeiro. A little confusing. The state and the city, same name. Like New York, New York. Yes. Okay. So not that confusing. Well, two Americans who might not know... Geography of Brazil. <laughs> it threw me off a bit. That's fair. Right? Which, speaking of geography, the state is located in the southeast region of Brazil along the Atlantic coast and is in a tropical climate. I, okay, okay. Many parrots. That's all I got for you. <laughs> but yeah, so that's where Celidia, she was born and uh, pretty much lived in that state, mostly in the city, like her entire life. Did some traveling a little bit here and there, but. Okay, so she was a city girl. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Now, by her own accounts, childhood, it was a happy one, right? Like, she spent time outside along with cousins. They were out on a farm. Um, things were a little untraditional in terms of who was raising her. So, when she was a baby, her mother died. Oh, no. I know. I, I don't know what from the 1920s. It could have just been childbirth, you know. But because of that, while she was an infant, her father gave her up to him, her mother's side of the family. And mm -hmm. so she was raised with her grandparents and then later on her aunt and uncle. They were like her parents. Aww. Yeah. But it was like she said, she's like, it was a, I had a great childhood, mm -hmm. you know, growing up out on the farm. And then when her aunt and uncle had kids, like they were just, they were her siblings. Right. 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 So they just, you know, all grew up together. She had, you know, essentially a brother and a sister, which was great. I think I always stand by the fact that your family doesn't have to be blood. I mean, in this case, it was blood, but, like, it doesn't have to be your perfect cookie-cutter mom-dad situation. It's whoever you can surround yourself with where you feel safe and happy. Yeah. And no, family is – it's who you make it. Yeah. She definitely didn't miss out, so good. No, no. And again, she said – she's like, I had a really good childhood. Good. So fast forward, age of 17, it's 1926, and Celidia, she heads to the big city of Rio de Janeiro. Carnival. You know, like any, like, like teenager, early 20-year-old, like, you work some odd jobs. So that's what she was doing. Right. Uh, difference here, though, is that with one of her odd jobs, working at a hardware store, she, like, informally acted as the drafts person there, like, drawing the tools for inventory. Okay. Because her boss was like, hey, I got to do this. I'm pretty shit at it. But you like to draw. Can, can you do this for me? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> and so for a few years, even though she had, like, kind of odd jobs, one of them was as, like, a, a patient entertainer at a for hospitalized, like, mentally ill patients. Oh. Yeah. Uh, or sometimes it was a typist, things like that. Uh, she was always drawing on the side. She was always doing freelance drawing work for magazines and newspapers. Okay. Yeah. So she she kept that side hustle going. And I guess at one point she was just like, well, you know, I like drawing. I might as well go to school for it. So she applies for the University of Brazil's School of Fine Art, gets in, 
And she graduates about five years later with a degree in etching. Oh, where did, how did she get to clay? Actually, via another artist that we have previously covered in the podcast. <gasps> Who is it? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say now. Give it a bit. Wait. But also keep in mind, I cover like one ceramic person like a year. You do not. You cover. I do too. You, you cover like two people so to choose from. Many ceramic, or is it just me? Maybe I just. No, no, it's just you. That just, just feels like you. It feels like now me. sculptors. That's a different story. Yeah, I think in my head, that's right. Ceramic. Okay. Uh, I'm a little biased, but not all sculptors are ceramic artists. Even though personally, I am a ceramic artist <laughs> who is a sculptor. <laughs> not, not all rhombuses are square. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. The ceramics comes in a little bit later, but for now, she's really digging etching and, like, illustration work. And then also is getting into, like, metal enameling, too. That's the thing. Wow. All over the place. Yeah, but while she was going there for her degree, you know, even as a student, she's winning awards. She's showing her work alongside other students, like, exhibiting internationally. And then after graduating, she goes back into school, this time, to become an art teacher. Oh, so she's teaching the arts. Yes, yes, as well she will be doing the arts. So wait, she wanted to teach just like kids or she wanted to teach like college level? Do we know? All of the above. All of the above. She does all of it. This woman, as an introvert reading about her, I was exhausted. <laughs> I was like, she just never stopped. No. She just kept going. I'm like, that's really cool. But I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. So yeah, she ended up teaching children, teens, adults. Uh, older into anyone she taught anyone and everyone very cool yeah and it's neat because we've covered you know both artists and scientists that went the teaching route but it was pretty much because at that time that was an acceptable profession for women mm-hmm. that's also true in this case but like i think she like she really it. loved teaching Aww. and it was her profession just as much as being an artist oh yeah which is really sweet and Reading about her um, in that collection of essays that I mentioned, like, it was a lot of students who had written in, mm-hmm. and they just had, like, nothing but good things to say about her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and students that are now, you know, they're yeah. practicing professional artists. Oh, that's crazy. I love that. So, super sweet. So, in her study to become an art teacher, she was awarded a scholarship, and that sent her abroad to the United States. Ah, and that's when things got weird. That explains it. Not quite. So, she's 29. It's 1958. And Salida is learning under the Navajo potter, Maria Martinez. Nice. Yes. Hey. Who, who was featured in episode 23. I, I could not have told you the, the number, but that's good. I'm glad. I wouldn't expect you to. Yeah. I had to Google it myself earlier. <laughs> Be like, when did I talk about that person last year? What? <laughs> who? What? <laughs> what? Seems like forever ago. I know. But yeah, so Selena, she was working under Maria and she loved it. She loved working with Clay. And I think she really responded to working with a woman who taught her like, you know, this is how I work in my community, in my, you know, indigenous community. And something that Maria really advocated was teaching a skill set that could be utilized by like her fellow members of her community Mm -hmm. and maria was really cool because maria was like hey guys if you learn this technique you could totally sign my name on your thing and make like a lot of money yeah (laughs) i remember this i do yeah maria was great so salita didn't quite go that same route in terms of you know having other people sign the name Mm -hmm. but she she did the same thing of you know teaching other members of her community how to benefit from what she had to teach them and share with them yes 
So they had slightly different methods, but they were same, same attitude, which yeah. was really great. And that experience working with Maria, I mean, that really sparks Alita's lifelong love of clay. It's so exciting. So after her year abroad, she's back home in Brazil and, you know, right away goes into teaching. And she just never stops. It's 1959. She goes on teaching for decades and decades and decades. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like out of everyone I've covered so far, like her her resume is crazy impressive with all the shows and exhibitions mm-hmm. and projects she was doing. Yeah. I was like, there's no way in hell I can cover all this. Like, we will be here for four hours. Yeah, please don't. No. <laughs> no, so I'm going to give you the quick and dirty. <laughs> but that's why I was, I was like, oh, my God, this is exhausting. I How do I this. narrow this down? I was like, oh, this, she was doing another biannual. Oh, my goodness, this woman. And, you know, if you really, really wanted to know, again, show notes, they'll have that link. You can just. Yeah, yeah. No, we got it up there. So, yeah, she, you know, is super active in her professional capacity as an artist and then also teaching. Uh, kids and then later on college level so with just how impressive her cv is and just her experience i'm, I'm just going to kind of cover some key points of her career mm-hmm. i really illustrate just kind of who she was as a person okay so late 60s salita she's teaching metal enameling to schools across the city cue military dictatorship oh of course yeah, yeah. uh that program came to an end now, the dictatorship was in power for like 21 years, up until 1985. Mm-hmm. It seems like she just kind of learned to work around them. <laughs> Dictators getting in the way. <laughs> but weirdly, it kind of seemed like they didn't, not for the art community. <laughs> Which like, like we've covered other artists who, you know, were coming of age and professionally working with dictatorships and like, oh no, they got in the way of the art making. Yeah, not her. Not so much. I don't know if maybe she was just super savvy and was able to kind of work around it. Uh, but I'm also like a gringa. And I, I don't know the full history of Brazil's late 19th or 20th century military dictatorship rule. So I don't I don't know. <laughs> Big shrug emoji. <laughs> super shrug. Moving on. That's not taught in American history class. Oh, don't get me started. Go ahead. Keep yeah. going. Oh, like, Okay. Super side note. Did you know that Brazil actually fought in World War II? I just assumed the world except Switzerland. I mean, like, <laughs> no. Even World War One, South America was like, no, we're out. You guys fight amongst yourself. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, That's Brazil fair. totally, like, got in. It was like, we're aligning with the allies. And Oh, what? All right. Yeah. Well, thanks, yeah, Brazil. They troops and everything. <laughs> it was just Brazil. It was just <laughs> I mean, I like to think, like, everyone else in South America, like, in Spanish, we're like, what the fuck is up with that? But, like, there they are in Portuguese going to fight for home and country. Like, I don't know. That's how I imagine it. Oh Obviously, Celia was not a part of it, but she came of age during the time. But, yeah, so because the dictatorship and how they did kind of mess with the art programming in the state, mm-hmm. she did have to switch gears in terms of where she was working. Mm-hmm. And she went from that metal enameling to kind of working with middle schoolers. Oh, okay, I guess. Essentially, yeah, there was a program that was kind of trying out a new type of teaching technique mm-hmm. or theory. And... Uh, Basically, it just was emphasizing the importance of touch through creative expression. Oh. Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to get super technical gobbledygook with it. But basically, in the plain speak of Celidia, she put it, quote, For the children, it was as if they hardly used their senses. Few were those who could actually say something about their skin, their hands, or the very classroom where they were. 
They were not used to exercising the possibility of using. No. For her, she really wanted to, like, emphasize and accentuate, you know, the idea of exploring your senses. Like the Please Touch Museum. Through the creative art making. And so that's something that she was kind of doing with those middle schoolers and coming up with a, um, a teaching kind of curriculum to work with them. And... Like, the work that she did with those kids, it was presented in a fine art museum exhibition. Stop. Yeah. And then the work she was doing, that laid the template for future art programs that, like, she went on to, like, found. What? Yeah, and that's even working with, like, college-age students. That's insane. That's, like, I I mean, like, I always, like, really admire, I mean, I guess the activism in art, how, like, you can, like, pass that on to younger generations and keep it going, like... Mm-hmm. Because, you know, art is obviously, like, a vehicle for your emotions and, like, a way for you to, like, like, catharsis, but also, like, a way to keep traditions and, like, just, like, everything in a community, which is really great. Yes, she was super about that. And that's really emphasized a little bit later on with a community project that she did. Ooh. But she was she was all about that. She takes that same approach in teaching art, you know, from children to adults. And it's really just this, like, holistic point of view in terms of how to make art, how to, like, loosen up, you know, the idea that there's no material hierarchy. Yeah. All materials are equal. uh, And that really defined her decades of teaching. That that is a lot. That says a lot because, you know, painting is the best, right? You know, according to Oh, well it's oil painting. It's oil on linen. That is obviously the best. <laughs> the best. If you don't do oil on linen, then you're obviously not. Um Yeah, if you're doing acrylic you're on like tasteful. canvas, you're a little cheapy. Mm. Mm. Poor artist. Uh but even Trash. with clay, like there's a hierarchy. Like there's this idea that like, oh porcelain, that's the best. Gross. And you're like terracotta you know the stuff they use to make bricks that's just as good <laughs> last longer i mean they're both the same they'll both last centuries but yeah it's, it's what you do with it that matters and that's something that she really wanted to emphasize <laughs> one thing that was really funny about her method was that when like teachers needed a student to loosen up mm-hmm. they would send them to her class <laughs> because she really wanted them to see things as a whole as, like, a process instead of the final, like, outcome. Right. And that could be problematic at times for students because she would purposely break student work. <gasps> yeah. Which, like, as an artist, I totally get that because that's something that my professors really tried to stress, like, on us when I was in college. That, like, no object is too precious, especially when you're learning. Oh, truth. Because when you think you're – when you're learning and you think, oh, it's the best I can do, no. You're just getting started. Oh, man. It's like my dad's reaction to when you were uh, smashing my old bust. That's right. And I'm I'm working on making – on finishing your other one, and it's way better. And I like it way more. There you go. Yeah. The and journey. so you just have to see those past work. It's a learning opportunity. Right. And so that's what she was trying to impress upon her students. But as a student, you're like, I fucking hate you. <laughs> like, like, that was so good and you just broke it. I will fight you. <laughs> yeah. There was one one of our previous students who was describing it and he was like, I was so proud of the work I did. He's like, I spent the entire class just looking at it because I had finished it and it was perfect. And the way he describes it, I just imagine she like came over to him and like, batted it off the table like a cat. <laughs> Oops. He was like, what did you do? <laughs> it was there. I had to, I had to push it off. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you'll do it again and you'll do it better and you'll learn a lot more. You'll do it faster. Like, uh, but yeah, as a student, you're like, that's messed up. But as an artist, I'm like, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. That makes sense. It checks yeah. out. <laughs> yep. uh, so that's how she approached kind of teaching art. But in terms of her own art, I'm going to describe it as like primitive. 
Yes. Now, the art world speak pegs her as a post-war contemporary artist. Oh. Which, which is true, but that could also mean anything. Yeah, that literally covers everything beyond 1945. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I use primitive because there's like an absence of refinement and fussing in her work. Mm -hmm. And there's also limited means in how the work was made. Mm. So like few to no tools, a lot of it's just hand manipulated. And there's that emphasis on the hand and also really basic means of production. Okay. But with that said, she did approach things with a really serious like academic pursuit like for her interest. Okay. So (laughs) there was a geologist friend who gifted her a oven bird nest. From her hometown. An oven what? Oven bird. I had no idea what they were either. I had to Google it. Oh, okay. Is it a living creature? It is. It's like a little a little songbird. Oh, okay. It's a type of like sparrow, I think. You would, you would give somebody uh, something that requires work and money and resources. No. no, 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 no. So she was not gifted the bird. She was gifted the nest that the bird makes. Okay. Because the bird, um, for mating, they build a, a new nest every year. Okay. And they actually will take little bits of clay and dirt and build a little mud home. Oh. Like a little clay house. It's like a little adobe house up in the trees what? on a branch. What? What? <laughs> yeah. No, if you guys have time, I encourage you to stop and go Google what this looks like. It's it's just like this little mug, almost little igloo with a little opening on the what? side. So the birds can kind of creep out a bit. Hold on, Googling now. And they've got like a little chamber on the inside that they build. And they just build it with their beaks. Ah, evolution. Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, I know like some type of bees and wasps will like make their structures out of like mud. And one summer I watched this one did that on my front patio. And it was really cool. Uh, Especially after I learned it wouldn't sting me. Mm Mm-hmm. But the the bird ones are, I, I guess, um, maybe in Spanish or Portuguese, it translates to, like, bread loaf, how they're described. I mean, yeah, okay. So I don't know why I thought it was, like, a regular nest, and then in the nest was a little dome. Oh, no. No, it's, that's why I said, like, kind of like an igloo almost. The whole thing is clay. What? Yeah, with their little beaks. They just come and they build it, kind of like coil building a little bit, so it's got a little bit of a spiral to it, the way they build up. These kind of layers. Oh, my God. Weird. It's really neat. But this type of structure was completely up her alley. Oh. Oh. Because like. Oh. Sorry. I just saw one that had three fucking stories. Yeah. I know. I think that's that's like the red oven brick bird. What the hell? Something or other. This bird was like, you know, I want more than just one. You know, the bottom will be like the kitchen and maybe the dining space, maybe a foyer. <laughs> but I want I'm also expanding. two stories. I'm expanding. We're yeah. going up. Like, what? What? And the kicker is they use them for one year for like the nesting season. Oh, the my- uh, breeding season, and then that's it. Mitch, if I made something that beautiful, I would live in it forever. Forever. I, well, other creatures do. Sometimes even snakes. Oh, okay. So don't approach one of these if you see them. <laughs> Got it. Maybe don't stick your hands in them. Oh, I, I don't think they're... I was definitely going to stick my hand in one. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't think they're around North America oh anywhere. Oh, God. But, um, yeah, so her geologist friend, like, found one and was like, hey, this is from, like, the same region where you grew up. I think, I thought you would think this is really cool. And she was like, uh, yeah, that's awesome. <gasps> so. I've spiraled into she, weaver bird nests. I, that's totally different. I, okay, I'm so sorry. I'm going to stop. This is, this is a hole. This is a rabbit hole. Keep going. <laughs> so, Salida, she fell in love with these structures and she wanted to make her own. 
So she thought the nest was so cool, and she's like, oh, if it was in clay, I know how I would build it, but, like, what type of clay would I use to build it? Oh. So she sent it off to the Institute of Technology. To get it tested. For them, Yeah, for them to do, like, a material test of, like, what, like, the clay is technically <laughs> made of. And she used that from now on? Well, she tried making her own. And see, that's why I say, like, even though her work was kind of, like, falls in that primitive category, mm-hmm. like, how she approached it was very analytical. Wow. Yeah. So, like, in the art world, primitive sometimes is meant as, like, you know, um, untrained. But I'm using it in a slightly different sense because, you know, she's uh, she's academically trained. She's approaching the Institute of Science or rather technology to yeah. analyze the substance. Like, slightly different approach. So she does a lot of tasks to try to formulate a clay similar to what the birds are using. Okay. And this is where the collecting human spit kind of comes into play. Oh, I <laughs> Because <laughs> obviously there's a little bit of spit enzymes in the clay the birds are using. Oh. And so she's like, oh, I'll try to mimic that with human spit. That's so gross. <laughs> so that's where she had like a, a just a spit collection jar. That's so gross. <laughs> I know. No, I was like, oh, wow, this is really grossing me out. <laughs> like, not a lot of things gross me out, but, like... Um, that grosses me out. Yeah, like, okay, so so a little, little story time. Oh, jeez, okay. <laughs> it's really short. My dad went to dental school. I think you knew that for a little bit. He, like, yes. he was, yeah. like, in middle school, medical school, and then dropped out of that, and then went into dental school, and then... Yeah, this is a man who was a dentist. I was like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to become a nuclear physicist. Well, okay. But, okay. He was going to be he was going to be a dentist, but some psycho teacher kept failing him. Plans change. Because he was the son of a the dean of sciences at the university. And she thought nepotism was in play, which I'm sure it was, but like you gotta be weird about it. Like he's obviously an intelligent man. Don't get me started. I'm a little grumpy about it. Anyway. It's a whole soap opera. It's a whole thing. Uh <laughs> Yes, so he ended up being a health physicist at nuclear. <laughs> Got his master's in nuclear engineering. Yes, yes. But at some point, he was going to be a dentist. Now, um, he's cool with that. And he, like, stressed, you know, dental health throughout our entire lives, whatever. And, like, bodily fluids don't freak me out. Blood doesn't freak me out. I mean, you know, feces is gross, but, like, I'm not going to be, like, whatever. Anytime I am around drool... Saliva, anything, I immediately want to throw up. And that is for dogs, for cats, for humans. Nope. Yeah. No, it's gross. It's so gross. And even at the dentist, I hate going to the dentist just because, like, I don't want to, like, like, it's gross to me. My own saliva when it's, like, it, like, it, it just, uh, 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 I can't even, I can't. Yeah, that's what the little sucky tube is for. Ooh, I hate it so much. Well, obviously, Celia did not hate it because she was actively collecting spit. Okay. For her, her clay sample test. This <laughs> is very scientific. She was like, oh, hey, human spit doesn't seem to be the correct enzyme for my custom clay mix. No. Uh, she went with a more traditional route for Adobe. Okay. Manure. Yeah. Ma- you know, wait, got manure? the job done. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, because, you know, with like a, it was essentially just an Adobe mix that she settled on. And that's just like a non-fired clay that holds up in like arid climates. Wait, does your clay have any like organic matter in it yeah oh yeah i mean it comes from the earth i mean no but like does it do you have to add manure to it no now there are times when you're actually 
making clay. Uh-huh. You know, you take all your various dry ingredients if you're going for a very specific like clay formulation mm-hmm. and um, mix it up. Yeah. Now, one aspect that you can improve on with additional aspects are the plasticity of it because sometimes, you know, you're just taking all these dry ingredients like a pancake mix and putting it all together. Yeah. It doesn't have good body to it. Okay. So if you wanted to like, you know, use it on like a pottery wheel, like you might have a bit of a hard time with it. There, like there's not a lot of like give. So sometimes to in- improve, I guess, almost like the microbiome of the clay body, you can introduce like vinegar, beer will do it. Okay. Urine. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, technically you could do a little bit of manure. That's a little bit gross though. But uh, I know like old school Urine is fine. Potters. Manure is like eh. <laughs> 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 like I heard a little tidbit of clay fact. Um, like old school, like ceramic artis- artisans, potters mm-hmm. would actually, you know, get their clay, mix it up, and bury it for like their grandchildren. Oh, because of that aging process, makes for like a really well developed clay body. Oh, almost a little bit how like sometimes like wine ages a bit, you know, to improve the flavor. It's something similar with clay. People are so weird. It and it depends on the type of clay and what you're using it for. It, so there's lots of variables, but. You can improve on the body of a clay. Good to know. So, Good to yeah, know. little fun fact. So she is. She made adobe with manure. Yes, and she did numerous projects where they were actually making traditional bricks using that kind of formulation. But here, she's using it with her oven bird nest. Okay. And her deal is making multiples of things. So, as like a singular object, this like oven bird nest that she would hand make, kind of easy to dismiss. Mm-hmm. It's just something roughly made with the hands. But knowing the process that went into making it and also the fact that she would make, like, hundreds of them. Oh, no. Like, that gives weight to the creation. Oh, my God. Because, again, like, in with her teaching kind of attitude, like, the process of making art is just as important as the art itself. Right, right, right. So she was all about that. So even with that kind of analytical approach she had in terms of how to formulate her work, she also worked intuitively. And this is where the whole covering your body in clay Thumbs up. Oh, okay. I've, I wondered. Yes. I wondered. The fun bit. So it's 1979 and she creates her most iconic piece, her performance piece, Passage. Performance? So it's filmed in, in her apartment. Oh, no. She has like a room sectioned off where she's hung like white curtains. So you just see these like billowy white curtains. She's naked. She's covering herself with like a, a really wet clay mix. You could also call it slip. Oh, slip. Yes. And then with the help of two, like, white-dressed, like, women assistants, they help create, like, this large coil pot that she sits in and then is encased in, like, as if she was inside of an egg or womb. Oh, okay, okay. Slathered in clay and now encased in a giant, like, urn almost. (laughs) She is clay inside of clay. (laughs) <laughs> she has become the ultimate ceramic artist. I'm I know, sorry. Obviously, I'm not trying hard enough. I can't. I no, can't. no, you're good. So she would write about some of her work, and so she did write a poem for this one. Oh, please. So it goes, I have divested myself. I covered my body with clay and parted into the hollow of the dark womb of the earth. I entered the dark room of the earth. Time lost, the time sense. I arrived at the formless. I may have become mineral, animal, vegetable. I do not know what I have been. I do not know where I was. Space, history was no longer. Sound reverberated out of time, pain. I do not know where I have wandered. The darkness, the sound, the pain, they all mingled together. 
The the space shrinked. I went out. I came back. That's how I feel when I take a nap. That you go out and then you come back. (laughs) Yeah. I can see that for you. (laughs) I'm, I'm a napper. I <laughs> I just imagine you curled up with your dog just I have divested myself. <laughs> I've covered my body with blankets <laughs> and parted in the hollow dark womb of this earth, my bed next to my puppy. <laughs> oh the cat better not be thrown up in the corner of my room. <laughs> I won with you. I won the <laughs> yeah, just like yeah, that. Yeah, no, that's the kind of uh, out-of-body experience I have. Like, that's how I would have that experience. So, okay, all right. She has encased herself in her happiest place. I get it. Yeah, so she's, like, encased in this, like, clay tomb. <laughs> and then she, like, she, like, burst out. Oh, wait, did she, <laughs> this is, pro- this has got to be a dumb question. She, I mean, it was still wet, right? Like. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because. So it was, like, a, like a birth. Oh, oh, oh. And she's been, you know, this is documented by a photographer friend. Got extra messy. And this all harkens back to, like, the mother that she never knew. Oh, Yeah, which is why I mentioned it at the opening, you know. The idea of, like, birth and rebirth, but then also being, like, one with the earth in this age of plastic. Okay. But then also, like, the importance of, like, you know, centering, like, the feminine. Okay. Because I don't know how it was in Brazil, but, like, here in America, we had second wave feminism going on in the States. And also, you know, the fight for, like, reproductive rights, too. Yeah, that's true. Which is currently a thing, but that's another story. Mm. Yeah, so basically, like, she covered herself in clay for, like, way more significant reasons than I want to. You just want to. Because I just want to. (laughs) (laughs) Can we? I mean, we can make it happen. We can get a bunch of clay and we can make this happen. You and me. We can cover ourselves in clay. I've got the clay. Don't worry about that. Um, That's going to be really awful to get out of my hair. If anything, no, you just got to, like, hose off in the backyard because, like, I, you can't put that down your drain. That'll clog it up. Oh, man. Yeah. My – I would have to cut my hair at the end. I would have to completely shave it off. No, it wouldn't be that bad. It would be so bad. We I mean, would be fine. We just like, a, I'll just – I've got, like, two sprinklers. We'll just run th- and play through the sprinklers afterwards. It'll be fun. We'll be frolicking. It'll be like we let out our inner child. That's Children. Fair. That's okay. All right. We'll just frolic naked in clay in your new backyard. Yeah. So well, hopefully we'll have the privacy fence up by then, so that way we're not giving the neighbors a show. You're like, hi, I'm new to the neighborhood. Here's my booty. I'm a nudie. Here's my best friend's booty. <laughs> She'll be here all week. Come say hi. Bring your... And no, you're correct. We bought the house. We're not renters. You're stuck with us forever. Forever. Yeah. And ever. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I don't know what the process was like afterwards, after our, our artist had kind of gone through this process. Oh, my God. But in terms of her career, everyone was like, oh, my goodness. That was brilliant. We love it. Yes. It just, it just finger snaps all around. Yes. Um, now, it does seem like the work that she did after this, because this is in 79, it does seem a little bit more community-oriented. Okay. As opposed to these um, more singularly focused projects that she was doing. Right. And working with a community called Chapuo Mangarita, which I know I mispronounced. Yes. Again, I'm sorry. <laughs> Soy una gringa. Lo siento. <laughs> this neighborhood in question it's um, like a, a poor neighborhood, like in Rio de Janeiro. It's essentially, like a shanty town. Oh no! Yeah, like there's no formal water, electricity, or like anything. Ooh. 
And she had the chance to teach in this community. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, they actually had a really great, like, clay deposit in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. So she was like, yeah, we could totally just, like, harvest the clay from the earth and then use that in projects. Wow. Yeah. And they did. Like, she... While she was doing this project, you know, she's still working, like, at the university and teaching there. And so she'd have her students come and work with this community, too. Mm -hmm. Because one, like, center pillar to her teaching ethic was that everyone should have, like, essentially the same educational opportunities. Yeah. Going back to there is no hierarchy. So she really did act as, like, a bridge, like, you know, between her skill set, but then also these low-income, like, disadvantaged students. Right. That was something she was always doing. So in this community, she was, you know, for a year, she taught mostly like the women and children how to work with clay uh, and and really encouraged them to make their own pieces. Because like kind of what you mentioned earlier, like she was all about pulling from your own like memory and a community's memory mm-hmm. and emphasizing that. And so she wanted people to like, you know, kind of learn to work in the material, but then pull on their own ancestral memories right. of what to make. Because like all the women who were here in this town, they had come from outside the city and we're living these whole new lives and, you know, quite disconnected with what they were doing before. Right. And so this exercise kind of offered a time to be like, oh, I remember how to do this. Like, oh, I used to do this when I was a kid and you know, playing by the riverside. And one thing that kind of didn't really sprung up was a memory club. Memory club? Yeah, because as all these women were working together making, you know, doing ceramic work and then later on some of them are doing fiber work. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, oh, this reminds me of fill in the blank from like my childhood or from, you know, whenever. Aww. And they would end up just sharing all these memories that the act of making is what reminded them of, you know, things they hadn't thought about in years. Right. People that they haven't thought about in years. Times of, oh, man. Yeah. So it was just as important in terms of, like, you know, giving them the means to make these objects to eventually sell at the market, but then also kind of having that self um, kind of reflection themselves. Right. And, like, she said of it, quote, The project's guiding principle is not to transmit experience on how to do stuff, but to discover as they do it in order to raise awareness of already existing resources. Right. To relate this awareness to the raw materials being used and in the process start generating and retrieving some creative language. So again, all about the importance of, you know, how you're doing something is just as important as what you're making in the end. And then, of course, like all the other projects she did, like this was something the work from was exhibited nationally yeah uh but it was really cool because with the work done in this community seeing it in like a museum space people could be like oh i made that that was me that's so cool did they happen to um also put those memories under like like on a plaque next to it or incorporate that is a good question i don't know if that was part of the exhibition okay but that would be a really cool way to do it. That would be. That would be a good people yeah. project. That's my that's my photojournalism coming up. That's like, yes, like I see this, but like there's a story behind this. So Yeah, and more richness to just this, you know, kind of initial maybe utilitarian object. There's that backstory, that history. But that was just one example of working with a community in terms of a project. She did numerous ones over the years. And really up until her death. In 1995, she passed away early. She was 66. It was breast cancer. Mm. This woman did not stop working. I wish to be like this. Yeah. Like, throughout the projects and her teaching, like, fortunately, she was also kind of broke. Oh, no. But the money she had from, like, her formal, you know, professor, like, teaching gig, Mm -hmm. she was able to channel that into projects that would, you know, fund these other things, these community-based ones that she wanted to do. That would create those positive um, teaching moments. Yeah. That would really, you know, kind of feed themselves and were really rewarding on, you know, so many different levels. Very cool. 
with all her projects, like, I totally get why she never married or had children. Yeah. <laughs> there just wasn't time. No time. <laughs> Half yeah, to I, do things. Like, if she wasn't creating a new college department, she was involved in, like, an indie movie production. Jesus Christ. Or being invited to Puerto Rico. Jesus. Or doing another ceramics, like, biannual. Like, yeah. Holy shit. Again, reading this, I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. I was like, I like to stay in my house away from people and just make <laughs> art by myself. <laughs> no one. No people. <laughs> no, until I have to reach out and be like, hey, I need a better reference shot of your nose. <laughs> and then I backed in my hole. Back in my little art gremlin <laughs> hole. Where I just want to smear myself with clay. Oh, man. <laughs> We need this needs to happen next time I see you. We're doing it. So yeah, so that is my artist today, Celia I'm so sorry, Celia Tostes. We'll go with that. That sounds more legit than mine. Okay. <laughs> so that's what I've got for you. I, you know, it's always fun for me to end the season with a ceramic artist. So she was someone I came across that one that passage body performance act, and it was like, oh my goodness, yes, I have to find out more about this woman. There so you. Here we are. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And we now have goals. (laughs) I guess, in a way, my lady kind of played with clay. Uh, You said she's an archaeologist? Yeah, she definitely played with the earth. Okay, yeah, because she's going to be doing a lot of removing the clay slash earth in that line of work. You know, a little bits and pieces. We're not going to go into the hows. We're going to go into the, the whats. Okay. The whys. Always good. You know, the whens, the whos. Okay, I'm done now. Also important. <laughs> All right. So who are you covering today, Ben? I don't I don't think we've done an archaeologist before, have we? Uh, closest thing we had was Marianning. Oh. Our very first. Yeah, all the way back to episode one. Yeah. Oh, that was so long ago. Oh, man. We were such babies. Babies. Look at where we've gone. Not- yeah, I still can't pronounce shit correctly. <laughs> Come so far. Come so far. So her name is, as, as a whole, it's a very long list of names. I'm going to call her Bertha Cody. Okay. Because there's like a bunch of maiden, uh, not maiden names. There's a bunch of other married names, but people know her as Bertha Cody. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so she was born August 30th, 1907 in Chautauqua, New York. Chautauqua. Chautauqua? Chautauqua. I've been there. Wait, Chautauqua Lake. Sh- Chautauqua County. Chautauqua, New York. There's a Ch- Chautauqua Institute there. I might try to do a residency one summer okay. for arts. Okay, y'all. She's from, she's got New York family. So she knows what's up. She's got this. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I am, this is, this is a weird uh, turn of events and I'm not sure I like it. <laughs> I know it's not often I can be like I've been there I know how to pronounce it more importantly which sounds like bullshit coming from me yeah no it's it's uh, Chautauqua New York it's um in the, the southern tier of western New York kind of near like the Pennsylvania Ohio New York kind of triangle well there you go <laughs> it's a vacation spot people come from out of state that's the only reason I know it oh my god Sweet. You might know how to say other names. I'm not great with Native American names, so I apologize right now. This is going to be really hard for for only me and maybe for those of you listening who actually know how to say the names. So she is of Seneca and Abenaki descent. 
Okay. Yeah. So Seneca people were Iroquois speaking people who historically lived around like Ontario. And then mm-hmm. the Abenaki are from the Ontario, New England area. So around there. Okay. She was born in an archaeological excavation tent. <laughs> Wait, what? That's so intense. <laughs> it was her dad's. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it legitimately runs in the family. It legitimately runs in the family. Yeah. Also, poor planning. Like, you know you're likely to give birth nine months in. Like, <laughs> clock sticking. You know when you should be not, on, like, on the job. <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't, her, it wasn't her mom's job. She was just... She tagged along with her husband, I guess. I know. I know, but still. <laughs> so her dad's name was Arthur Parker. He was an archaeologist. Uh, Bertha would actually help him on excavations when she was really, really little. And mom's name was Beulah Tahamont. Tahamont. I'm going to go with that. Her parents ended up, actually ended up splitting up in 1914. So I'm sure there was some fundamental stuff going on as far as why did you take this excavation when I'm this many months pregnant? <laughs> No, right. So how old was, was she at this point? She was seven when they split. Oh, okay. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so she's a little one. So mom actually took Bertha with her to Los Angeles, California. And that's where her maternal grandparents were because they were actors. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I, wow, they're getting on, in on the early days of that silver screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they really got into that. So actor is Elijah Chief Dark Cloud. And Margaret Dove Eye Camp. Oh, I'm sensing some typecasting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Dark Cloud was a Carlisle University graduate and the chief of the Abenaki tri- tribe in addition to his acting talents, according to my sources. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, lots of different things. And then, I mean, like, their their pages, both grandma's and grandpa's pages, IMDb pages, are extensive. It's insane. <laughs> That's really cool. And, you know, her mother got into it as well. So her IMD page page is also pretty lengthy. And that's that's exactly how she, like, funded raising Bertha was they were just actors in California trying to make a buck. Mm -hmm. And then when she became, like, preteen, early teenager, she actually got into it as well. She worked for the Ringling Brothers in their Pocahontas show. Oh, okay. Yeah, so definitely typecasting. Oh, and super duper racist. Oh, but yeah. Oh, it gets weirder. <laughs> I'm listening. So, you know, they go about and, you know, she continues to act just like her, you know, her mother and her grandparents. It's it's in mm-hmm. her blood, right? Yeah. And then Bertha gets married. Young. She's 17. Okay. Ooh, okay. Yeah. She married a man named Joseph Fayan, Mexican descent. They had one daughter named Wilma, but, and this is content warning here, maybe fast forward. Fast forward 40 seconds if you don't want to hear it. Content warning is abuse. He was abusive. Okay. About two years later, she tried to divorce him, and he didn't take too kindly to that at all. Yeah. He kidnapped Bertha, Beulah, and Wilma. So grandma, mom, and daughter. And took them to Mexico. How are you feeling over there? Sorry, I'm just thinking anyone tries to kidnap my grandma and they won't be able to return her fast enough. Yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, 
You think they couldn't? You're like, sorry, I was going to try to take her over the U.S. line, but it's just she keeps complaining about her knee and then her bad back, and then I think her sciatica is flaring up again. <laughs> well, and she wasn't sure if she'd taken her morning medication, and I was like, look, lady, I don't. It's just here. Let's take you home. Well, I mean, keep in mind, Bertha was 19 at the time. Wilma was like, I guess, two at the time. I assume Beulah was not the age of your grandmother. Beulah was Bertha's mom, so Beulah was probably like in her 40s. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I like to think that man would have gone down. Yeah. <laughs> For Between sure. me, mom, and my grandma. <laughs> For sure. No. I, I feel like this is an important time to touch on the fact that from the outside looking in, it's really easy to say things like, leave your abuser, cut oh, them yeah, out of Oh, yeah, we have life. no idea the circumstances yeah. or what type of emotional or physical or financial manipulation was going on. Oh, yeah. And the fear that these victims have are, I mean, they're, they're grounded absolutely in reality. So, of course, we have to remember that when we navigate a situation. And also, like, the complete lack of resources for, like, women's health. Yeah. Or just any abuse during this period. So, you know, be patient, listen, be kind, non-judgmental. It's just super important that they feel situated or situated, supported the best that they can. So what happened after they were all kidnapped and taken to Mexico? So thankfully, Bertha's aunt... So that was Beulah's sister, I guess, was married to a man named uh, Mark Raymond Harrington. And mm-hmm. he was a director for the Southwest Museum in Nevada. And I guess he had money and resources to find the women and the child and bring them back home. So he, like, went to get them back. He, like, went out of his way, which is really nice because, like... It- I didn't expect such a soap opera today. I know. I, w- I was oh like, oh, you know, this lady, she looks pretty cool. And see what, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, sometimes going into this research, you're like, well, where did that come from? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> it's a roller coaster. It's not great. Yeah. So it's good that they had some resources then because there are many other points where that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Things go very differently. So yeah, Beulah goes back to Hollywood. Bertha and Wilma, however, they actually headed to Nevada because not only did Harrington rescue them, but he got Bertha a job working for a museum. Okay. I mean, like, you're just going to rescue someone, like, internationally. I mean, it doesn't hurt to be like, here's a further support system I can give you. Yes. Yeah. I think that's what it was. She's like, let's let's get you away from, uh, from California. It's far away from me. you come uh, work for me? Yeah. Maybe we'll get you sorted. Yeah. Yeah. That's... And a place you can start renting for the first six months. <laughs> and I mean, like, she was actually on the excavation site as, like, a, a cook and a secretary for the excavation. Okay. Um, so, like, super basic stuff. The archaeological site was called the Mesa House. And, you know, like most professions, it's still a hands-on experience. And it was how she learned the basics because she would spend the first Mm -hmm. half of the day cooking and the second half of the day out in the field with the rest of the crew. Okay. So she's like in her 20s at this point? Yeah. She's in her 20s. Okay. So this expedition was located in Gypsum Cave and it's 15 miles east of Las Vegas, Nevada. And it's got about six cave rooms. So apparently... Portions of caves are called rooms. I didn't know that until yesterday. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, nineteen thirty, Cody's doing her thing in an afternoon dig, right? Uh, and she discovers a bunch of things in those caves and in that area. There's a fossilized camel bone in a dried up lake bed, which camels aren't native to Nevada, obviously. So that's yeah. got some implications. 
Yurok lore and artifacts. So uh, Yurok are an indigenous people in, like on the Pacific coast who were displaced by timber companies, which oh, is not okay. great. Yeah. Uh, but she, like in those interviews, taking down the history of these people, she would carefully take notes, give credit to any of the individuals that she interviewed and consulted with, and then sometimes named them as authors and co-authors, which obviously like a lot of people didn't do back then. Yes, that's huge. Yeah. And like, I mean, like, even though she's of Native American descent, she's like coming from tribes. uh, Sorry, she's coming from areas that are like Northeast North America. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So totally different worlds, obviously. So it's good to have those resources. She also discovered one day the skull of a Northrotherium shastense. Oh, you don't say. Yes. It's a very fancy way to say giant sloth. Oh, okay. I was. I have, I have no clue what that is. And this, it, it's a sloth. It's How big? So this particular species was the size of a bear, about nine feet tall. Okay, so if it was in like a Miyazaki movie, that would be adorable. But I feel like in real life, that would be terrifying. Um. So here's the best part. It was oddly oh enough God. that particular species was one of the smallest of its kind. Oh, you're not making this better. I- the biggest in that family, uh, that taxonomic family, was the Megatherium, and it lives up to its name. That one would be about 20 feet tall. <laughs> okay, so as a kid, someone let me watch the first Jurassic Park movie, like, when I definitely should not have. Oh, no. That was way too young. Oh, no. And that really imprinted on me, like, this whole, like, nope towards, like, dinosaurs and things bigger than me. Like, as a kid, I was like, no. No. No, that's a terrible idea. Uh, and meanwhile, I would have died trying to hug one. No. That, I, I, that's how I die. Everything would kill me. Everything would kill me. I would last, like, maybe 20 minutes. But, like, here's the thing, though. These guys are... Uh, until it slowly crushes me to death because I was under its paw and it steps on me. These things, okay, so they lived about 11,000 years ago, right? Um, like that taxonomic family. So not just the species that you found, but also the mega ones like and everything in between. Okay. They were around for 11.49 million years. Good riddance. They were, oh my God, no, they were babies. <laughs> they were herbivores. They loved yuccas. They ate yuccas, Megan. Okay, that's fine, I guess. They used, okay, they used their tails as support, like little tripods to keep them balanced yeah. when reaching up for food. Okay. I get that when I'm trying to reach tall places to eat my vegetables. Sometimes I, you need a little extra help. I love them so much. You're right. In the grand scheme of giant dinosaurs, they're not that bad. No, they're not. And they were, they're were they just giant sloths. So think of a sloth, but make it bigger. And they flourished during the tertiary period of the Cenozoic era, which is referred to commonly as the era of the mammals. Um, oh, yeah. I totally knew that. <laughs> but this predated the era of humans so yes because they were ground slaws and not the tree slaws that we have they were basically sitting ducks for our ancestors who hunted them and caused their extinction uh, okay so this makes sense though because the remains dinner time i'm i just oh the baby <laughs> the baby that's not okay <laughs> I was I'm not saying go after the baby babies. No, I was at work and I was so distraught reading this. I was like, we cause extinction of giant sloths. I and I love sloths. I don't know if you know how much I love sloths. I mean, I love all animals, obviously, I mean, but like sloths are just like they're so precious and so perfect and so slow and so helpless. And I just I'm so sad. <sighs> 
They they should have kept around. They should have said maybe not not even the mega ones. Just maybe the maybe just the giant <laughs> ones. Not the twenty feet long ones. I would have loved the twenty feet long ones. Honestly, I would have loved to be around those guys. But whatever. But anyway, the fact that they were um, like hunted by animal or by humans makes sense because yeah. the remains that Cody found were also found near some human tools. Ah, okay. And that was pretty big because it gave us clues of like migration patterns of our ancestors, giving us the earliest mm-hmm. like evidence for human occupation of North America, giving us like a map essentially, like a timeline. And her discoveries obviously because of how big that was just like they brought new funding to the expedition ah okay Mm -hmm. cool as well as new staff and archaeologists okay so so canadian paleontologist james e thurston arrived on the scene and within a year of meeting each other they get married does it work out is this is this one better or does he try to kidnap her and her family and take them to canada the marriage lasted less than a year oh okay but it was the following February, he actually, on site, lifted up a rock and suffered a heart attack and died on the spot in the caves. Well. Yeah. Like, okay. right there. So, dramas. <laughs> I don't... That's not the best way to go, but here we are. I mean, died doing what he loved. I, I guess. But now she's down two husbands, and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Milana, how many more are there? <laughs> are there more than two? Like two more? So the same year. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> we have a black widow on our hands. The same year, cave guano, like bat droppings, got to Cody yes. and she got really ill. Ugh. The Great Depression was also breathing down the museum's neck and she had to pull herself away from the caves and back to California. Okay. It's a really short ride, but it's a ride. Okay. Oh god. Okay. All right. <laughs> So she, in California, she conducted her research on the Maidu people in Northern California and became an ethnographer. That job title sounds a little racist. Ethnographer? It's a study and scientific description of customs of individual peoples and cultures. Yes. Is that still a used used terminology? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because I know there are some pockets of anthropology, especially in like the whole eugenics movement of like 1920s and 30s that... Um, have not aged well, and they're no longer considered oh. avenues of science and the inquiry. Well, I'm actually, I don't, I mean, like, I Googled it, and it seemed to be still a thing. Okay. I got, and again, I, I think it's just um, just a subsect of, like, I mean, what she did, what she did was, like, essentially wrote down customs and traditions and interviewed and just was, like, a better journalist than most journalists. Well, or, like, a, like an anthropologist. Yeah. Like, she definitely was just there. Like, she wanted to learn more, right? Okay. So that's when she, that's what she did. Uh, The Maya people are from the Northern California region in Sierra Nevada. And it was around that time that she met a man named Espera Oscar de Corti. He was known best as Iron Eyes Cody. Okay, what happens to this poor guy? Oh, oh, he's fine. Oh, okay, okay. He dies of old age. Oh, okay. Spoilers. But there's some, there's, (laughs) wait for it. He's best known for his role as the crying Indian in a Keep America Beautiful commercial from 1970. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. He's an actor of Italian descent. Yes. Yep. Yes, I have heard about that. Yep. 
Okay. I want to say I could probably attribute that to like the Daily Show. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I'd... I had to stop. I had to stop for a second and be like, did did this? Did I just read this right? Did <laughs> this man took on the name Iron Eyes Cody and played Native Americans in many, I mean, many TV shows? Look, if there's one thing this podcast has taught me, it's that America, we have such a messed up racial history. Uh, like it got, and unwilling to acknowledge it. It got or even so learn about it. intense that he identified eventually as Native American, wore traditional Native American clothes in his daily life, swore by the culture, swore up and down, denied that he was anything but, and just melted into it. And, you know, Bertha was cool with it. Honorary Native American, I guess. Okay. I mean, all right, whatever. I don't. I, your little boat. Look, I, mm, 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 I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. So Bertha was just like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, they got married in 1936. Okay. Yeah. All right. And everything was pretty okay. Okay. Minus this whole fake racial facade. You he, know, this guy had going on. You okay. know. You know, she kept doing her her work as an archaeologist and an ethnographer. Um, until her daughter died from an accidental gunshot wound while on vacation visiting her grandmother. Okay, so for a sec, I was like, is it going to be tuberculosis? It was not going to be tuberculosis. No, this time it's just a gunshot wound. Was it like on set of some, or just, just... I, you know, I could not find a description. No details? I could not. I would just, like, suddenly, oh, her, her only daughter, her only blood daughter, like, died. <sighs> okay. What? God, that's terrible. I, yeah, and like, like what? Like, imagine being like, you only have like one child, and it's I don't know. I just and you go through so much like raising that child, and you I I don't know. I just I wish we could be like, thank goodness, it's almost a hundred years later, and we don't have any more senseless deaths by gun violence. No, no, we do. Yep. Okay. Um. So. How old was her daughter then when she uh, when she died? Nineteen thirty six. I think her daughter was born in nineteen twenty nine or nineteen thirty. I mean, either any any age. It's terrible. It's devastating to go through that as a parent. Wait, 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 wait. hold on. What? She was nine. How did a nine year old? I didn't even do that math until right now. So what happened afterwards? I mean. Not that this would this holds any difference, but uh, they adopted two boys later who were both of Native American heritage as well. Okay. Um, Robert Tree Cody and Arthur William Cody. I'm not sure if they went on acting, but uh, I guess her husband's family and like her husband's and family work like got to her, and she actually left archaeology, like she left the dig and everything, and just returned to show business. But she put her skills to use. Uh, she didn't go back to acting. She was a technical advisory on projects depicting Native Americans. Oh, yeah. okay. So, like, she was there trying to keep things true. As true as it could be in the <laughs> Not 1940s. terribly racist. Yeah. Just kind of just racist. Just kind of racist. Okay. She and her husband also hosted a TV show about Native American, fo- like, folklore and history. And I cannot oh, for the life sure. of me. Yeah, that's why, like, when, when I've read about Iron Eyes Cody being a fucking Italian man... Like, I was livid, but, like, he, I, I don't, it was so weird. He, like, dedicated his life to keeping traditions and folklore alive and doing so with a Native American woman. So it's it's very muddled. It's very muddled waters. And I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like in high school, like, we all knew that one kid that was just, like, really into Japan. Yeah. Like, kind of teaching themselves Japanese because they were just so into it. And... I mean, fast forward a bit, and if they can, like, start to tell you, like, the history of Japan and the cultures and the customs, I'm like, okay, all right. Like, even... Weird white guy. I Right? And, like, 
they even went as far as to like adopt like children who were Native American and to give like them an opportunity and to give them a home and a space. Like, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's so weird. It's so weird. It's just like this. I, I did not expect this ride. Yeah. Well, <laughs> never mind the fact that the American government was like taking away Native American children from their parents I because know. they wanted them to not be Native American. I but know. what else? Yeah, so I couldn't find the name of their TV show because if you look at his IMDb page, he like um like it's just a whole bunch of like popular live action TV shows at the time. And you're like, which okay. one is the folklore one? <laughs> I don't know. It's not listed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's on like public television, I'm sure. So nobody like mm-hmm. yeah. So there's that, and then like she just continued to do that until she passed away in her 70s, and then that was it. But like when she was like in her teens, she was like uncovering giant slots, and then working in Hollywood, and then working in ho- like no big deal. <laughs> okay, all right, that's thank you, Sada. That was a bit of a ride. Yeah, like I didn't get anything past. Yeah, she died in 1978, age 71. She retired from, like, archaeology in general in the 1940s. So there was a good Mm -hmm. 30 years in which she was just, like, hanging out on set. Second career. That happens. It happens. Yeah. But we're only focusing on her archaeology point, I guess. Because I don't don't know. Everything I got her, like, every, like, article I read didn't go past where she, like, where she retired or, like, switched over to the other career. I think it was just because, like, I don't know. No, I totally get that. So a while back, we were doing um, Japanese-American painter and illustrator Mine Okubo. Right, right. Who did the graphic novel about her, like, internment camp experience Mm -hmm. during World War II. And, um, yeah, when I was researching her, like, everyone talks about, like, the book she did and her graphic novel and her work related to it and then just nothing. Nothing. And I'm like, that woman had decades as a painter. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) I'm sorry. Did the rest of her career just not fancy like your interests like catch your interest apparently not she was still working she was still doing work so i get that especially with a career switch like that they'd be like all right and that's not relevant to our interest anymore oh poop but i mean no like everything she did was like um, she was an activist from what i understand she was always a consultant for it always trying to keep that tradition alive Meanwhile, she's the first Native American archaeologist or woman archaeologist. Like, so I don't know. I just think it's dumb that we don't know more about her. But whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It really bothers me, though, that she like her her freaking uh, she's buried above her husband, her third husband. (laughs) (laughs) I have to qualify that. And instead of her name being on her little plaque, it says Mrs. Iron Eyes Cody, which is really stressful to me. Ugh. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> this woman filled museums. Like, what? I know. It's weird when that happens between myself and my partner because they hear his last name and then call me the Miss version of it. And I'm like, Excuse that's you? weird. <laughs> I have my own last name. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not changing. It's a perfectly fine last name. You can use it. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> That's why when I like I did like when her official name, it was like Bertha Parker Payan Thurston Cody. And that just doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, when I am dead and gone, being that I am a sculptor, I'll try to make sure there is no miscommunication because, like, I'll do my own tombstone. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm into it. I mean, who's to say, like, I don't have it somewhere in the basement right now, just in case. You never know. Can you make mine, too? I could. Hey. They can sit right next to each other. Okay. I was about to say, how mad 
would your family be if we like were like besties like and get our like burial plots like right next to one another yes done no one else in your family or in my family just you and i done oh well we always wanted to go to hawaii together so why not be buried there like that's fucking great let's do it done yeah. and i'll do like okay we've got a stone sculpture for the two of us like you know together and people will speculate I'd be like are you sure they weren't gay are you sure like, no. well, look what are we holding in our sculpted hands oh it's the urn of her brother and my partner <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he decided to be buried on, like, the other side of the country. <laughs> like, fuck all of you. I'm not going to spend eternity right next to you. Oh, oh. And I'll put a little motion sensor in it so anytime, like, someone walks by, they'll hear, like, your your mad giggle laugh. <laughs> but it'll sound kind of old and creepy, so you'll be like, wait, where did that come from? <laughs> I can't wait to cause nightmares with you. Yeah, come on. It'll be fun. It'll be so much fun. <laughs> All right. Well, I never thought I'd say this, but I look forward to the day that we die and we can have an awesome, uh, awesome gravesite together. Done. Besties. Bestie. <laughs> yep. Tis the season to consider your own mortality. <laughs> um, no better time. All right. Well, on that note, if you made it this far, we super duper appreciate we it. We love you. Yes. Yes. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. I don't know how the song goes. I don't really like Christmas. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know either. It's fine. All right. You get it. You get the gist. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, all right, Milana. Well, if people want to find out more about the, the women that we've covered today, where can they go? We have a website that's myfavoritefeminist.com. We have an email. It's info at myfavoritefeminist.com. Our Instagram and Facebook are myfavoritefeminist. You can listen to us on any major podcast platform you know this because you're listening right now and it takes two seconds to like subscribe share with all your friends and in the comment section below below anywhere really let us know what do you do for the holidays i love you and your family so much i'm making a batch of my grandma's mac and cheese mac and cheese it's so good yes yeah like you guys like my grandma's like christmas cookies you're gonna love her mac and cheese wait i don't know how that's gonna fit in with the christmas tamales i don't care okay bringing it okay i'm into it don't care i'm into it (laughs) we can eat that the day after christmas oh oh yes yes the day after christmas i'm digging it so that's what i'll be doing tomorrow in anticipation of the holiday season Mm. what about yourself I mean, I don't do it much anymore because I don't really care for Christmas. But when I was younger, mom used to be really big on like decorating the house. And I was her like her designer, her helper. Like I would help her pick the theme for the year. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I, I liked it so much that I still sometimes get her Christmas ornaments for because her birthday and Christmas are like a week apart. But I got her a little baby Yoda Christmas ornament. So hopefully oh, she likes that's it. cute. She was telling me how she doesn't love Christmas as much, so I'm hoping that it helps bring up a little bit of spirit, even though oh, it's not mine. depressing. It's, I don't I know, but like maybe just us being there will help, so. I think a lot of people had a really hard Christmas last year, yeah. understandably. For sure. So this one should be a little better. So I'm looking forward to getting to see your family for Christmas and then... Um, as much as a bummer, it is not to travel out of state to see mine. Oh, next year. I guess it's okay staying with your family. We love you. Yes, it's okay. I love them too. <laughs> On that note, happy holidays, everyone. Here's to uh, 
better new year i hope better new year i think that's god i hope (laughs) i hope so hard all right well either way we'll see you in the new year so until then we'll see you next time bye Oh, happy holidays, Scott. Who said you can do these these shout outs? I can because I am co-host. If I had other friends, I would also give them a shout out. <laughs> I'm just jealous. <laughs> okay, so here's your shout out. Hi, Steffi. You took the only other person I could think of offhand. <laughs> shout out Milana's mom. Woo! <laughs> We love you. All right. All right. I think we're good.